This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. I am super excited about this episode. We are going to be chatting with Melissa Bachman, and if you don't know who she is, then you're out of the loop. You need to figure out who she is, and you will hear shortly. She has been definitely been an icon in the hunting industry, and I've been watching her for quite some years now and enjoying the content that she puts out. She was generous enough to spend some time and chat with us a small podcast and I think that speaks volumes of who she is as a even a fellow South Dakotan uh, we're nice people so I'm glad that she wanted to spend some time and uh, offer her advice and info and chat with us at, when she doesn't get anything out of it so I appreciate her so much and uh, I'm, I haven't made this call yet so I'm gonna make that call here and just two minutes so i'm excited to see what this brings on another note don't forget where our giveaway is still rolling so make sure you go to our instagram and get signed up for uh, our binocular giveaway so here's uh melissa melissa thank you so much for jumping on our podcast uh you have been an icon and a leader in this hunting industry i know you're the host of winchester deadly passion on Sportsman Channel, and I, I think the fact that you are willing to chat with me, my little old podcast, uh, speaks volume of who you are as a person, and so I really appreciate you, you jumping on and chatting with me. Well, I appreciate you reaching out, and thank you for all the kind words. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and uh, first of all, I'd love to uh, maybe dive into who you are just a bit, and what you do, and why you do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I grew up in central Minnesota. Um, it was my brother and I. I have a younger brother who's four years younger. And I've been in part of the hunting lifestyle since I was a little kid. My mom and dad 
both absolutely loved hunting. And instead of paying a babysitter, they brought us with. My dad jokes it's because he didn't want to pay a babysitter. But yeah. um, we did all those things together as a family. And it just kind of got ingrained in who I was. And I just loved it. I could not wait until my 12th birthday. In Minnesota, you had to wait till you were 12 before you could go big game hunting. And I remember not even hardly being able to sleep the nights before it was time to go deer hunting when I was 12. I was up all night drawing out maps of where we should hunt first on our property. And, you know, I, I look back and I, I wonder, my parents were probably thinking, what have we created here? <laughs> um, but it just kind of shows the, the real passion there. And, you know, even in high school, my mom and dad allowed me to have a work permit. As long as I kept straight A's, I didn't have to go to school till 10 a.m. my senior year. Um, I had enough credits to actually graduate early, but I didn't want to do that because of sports. So I got to go hunting every morning. Um, so that kind of shows you just how much I loved it. And that's all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to find a way to hunt for a living. So I'm never the type of person who wanted a TV show or any of that. I just needed to find a means to be able to pay my mortgage and hunt all the time. And this is kind of the, the route it ended up working. Well, uh, by 10 a.m., you could do a lot of hunting as a kid. I'm yes, sure. I did. And if I had a deer, I got to stay at home till noon so I could get it hung in the garage and then get back to school. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think I just saw you post not long ago uh, just some old pictures of mm-hmm. uh, you as a youngin and some mm-hmm. of your, your hunting. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm so lucky that one, my parents took us along and two, that they took those photos, you know, um, people didn't take quite as many pictures back then, but I sure do appreciate it now. And looking back, some of those memories, those are our fondest memories, you know, still getting together as a family, talking about those times. And we, and we didn't have phenomenal hunting. Um, I think that's something, too, that's important to point out. We just hunted for whitetails. I shot lots of small fawns, basically, yeah. my first several years. And my parents were proud, and and so was I. I never thought about, you know, trophy hunting or anything like that. We hunted a lot of public land. And um, I think it's just important to get out there, to enjoy it, and, you know, as parents, to be proud of whatever whatever your kids get. And that's all I cared about. You know, they were happy, so was I. And that documentation is something that I've realized is such a powerful thing. I Just to, to remember those things. So that's cool that your, your folks took those pictures because I was a college wrestler and a high school wrestler for many, many years. I don't have a single picture of <laughs> me with my hand rose. And it's almost, I try and tell some of my close friends, I think it happened. I know it happened. I won some. <laughs> so, but there's not a picture out there. And it's mm-hmm. just because folks were so wrapped up in the moment of what was going on and same thing with our watching it and nobody had phones right yeah. so yeah. you didn't have phones that could just snap the quick picture quick you actually had to break out a big camera take the picture go get it developed the whole thing so exactly. i think that makes a difference too where people have a lot more memories now um that are right in their phone exactly and i know that that hunting is your life and you want to do that wanted to do that for a living but as you've developed over the the years that you've been doing this what what is your current mission that that, or what do you want to tell people what do you want to share well the main reason i even have a show anymore is because i want to show others 
how much fun it is to get out there. I want to bring other families together like my family was. I want to teach them that they can go outside, they can do these things together, and it's such a great bonding experience. I want kids to be able to watch my episodes on YouTube or see them on Sportsman's Channel or watch them on My Outdoor TV and say, you know what, I didn't even know you could go hunt alligators. I want to do that. Um, so that's kind of become my mission is is spreading the word, showing people that you know women can do it. You can be old and do it. You can be young. It doesn't matter. And you don't have to have someone right there to help you. There's enough information out there now that you can learn as you go. So part of it is I want to show how entertaining and fun it is. But the other part of it is I want to show people some great information and some things that I've learned over the years, maybe by sitting in the cold for 30, 40 days straight. I'm going to tell you my exact tips to stay warm. So I want to be able to, you know, really educate people along the way as well. Yeah. And it sounded like you might have been out hunting coyotes last night. Uh, yeah, I've been hunting coyotes almost every single day. <laughs> yeah, I, I was out yesterday and yesterday morning, and it was bitter cold. <laughs> it, was, it is freezing right now. It was now. a little cold out, for sure. So in some recent changes, we and even in our email thread, I had listed it as Colorado Hunting Hub. And so I started this podcast in in April, and that's where I was started. That's where I was living. Uh, but I've made an announcement that we've – I personally have moved back to South Dakota, my home state, and you're in South Dakota. Well, we're now. happy to have you back. <laughs> well, thanks. I spent 25 years here, eight in Colorado, and man, I forgot how much I miss South Dakota. I love mm-hmm. it here, uh, <laughs> and it's my home, and I'm closer to family and all those great things, uh, and I can always go back to elk hunt. It's no big deal, uh, mm-hmm. but you tag South Dakota all the time, or I see it in your Instagram posts, and uh so tell us about what brought you here. Like how long you've been in South Dakota and, and uh, yeah, what brought you here? Well, I was originally a Minnesota girl. I grew up in Minnesota. That's where my family is. Um, and then when I started hunting, when I got out of college, I traveled all over all the time. Um, for I think about seven or eight years, I was on the road about 320 days a year. So I don't know if it's fair to call anywhere home at that point in time, sure. except for my truck. Um, and then I met my husband. He's a game warden here in South Dakota. I was out hunting. We started hunting together for years and uh, I've been living here. We built a home two years ago now. Um, So I've probably been here for, I'd say, at least four years. And I love South Dakota. Um, I kind of always joke that Minnesota was kind of a waste of my residency for hunting because (laughs) I would travel all the time. And, you know, I got to hunt with my mom and dad a little bit, but I really didn't hunt Minnesota much. And now that we live in South Dakota, I'm actually able to travel less because we have such phenomenal hunting right outside our back door, you know, so I really enjoy that. I enjoy the wide variety. We get to shoot everything from elk to coyotes to deer, muleys, antelope, you name it. We've got it here, and, and I really enjoy that. And I don't necessarily want to be a another ad to move to South Dakota. Because, no, uh, I it's great, but I we know. don't need that many more people. <laughs> I know. Uh, there's the influx, and I feel like I'm a part of those those people <laughs> moving here. But I was here first. I was, I was mm-hmm. born here. I was born here. So. <laughs> I was here first. But um, what are some of those assets? I know you just mentioned a couple, but specifically, what are some of those assets that we have uh for hunting and some of those really good opportunities. 
Well, I think one of the things is there is a lot of land to hunt here. Um, not only public land, but we have great luck going door to door, knocking from time to time. We're telling people how respectful you'll be and having the ability to hunt different places. Another thing that I love for raising kids here, it's literally, in my opinion, going like going back in time 20 to 30 years. Um, we have a very small town. Everybody kind of knows each other. If a kid's missing at a football game, they'll say, hey, if anybody sees little Abby, send her home over the loudspeaker. Um, I think there's just, there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, um, for us, we get to hunt, you know, all over the, the tags are very, you know, there's a lot of options for tags. Um, and really the people, I mean, you cannot beat the people of South Dakota. You got the nicest, kindest, hardest, kindest hearted people that I've ever seen. And the good news is we've got a lot of wind and we've got a lot of cold weather. So if people aren't tough enough, they don't last very long. So the ones that are here are pretty tough and pretty good people. Yeah, I would definitely echo that. I just, one of the things that, that brought us back is just being able to have good interactions with good people that mm-hmm. I, and I, we haven't, we're going to check out a church for the first time here this weekend and it's going to be that homely feel. I know it. I just absolutely know it. And, and chatting with people in different churches and things. So, um, I didn't put this on my list, but I'd love to hear kind of your elevator speech on getting permission that could help anyone in any state. What do you, what do you do when you knock on a door? What do you say? Well, my number one things are to tell people what I would want to know. Okay. So if someone came to ask to hunt on my land, um, I would want to know, you know, what they're hunting, what type of people they are, how respectful they're going to be because people, if they don't hunt themselves, their number one concerns are usually, are you going to be shooting near my home and are my pets in danger, right? Are you going to be driving on the roads and ripping and tearing everything up and driving through my fields and just, being disrespectful and are you going to be following the law i don't want any trouble here um so i think those are kind of the very first things to to show to people and it's all about respect it's about your attitude it's about being willing to help um and offering something in return whether that's money whether that's maybe help um uh, there's a lot of people that might need help fixing fence or doing something else where if you don't have the money and you offer to help or maybe do the good deed first and then, you know, ask for the hunting permission second. Those are things that can really go a long way. And then if someone does allow you to hunt, I think it is so important to return back maybe around Christmas, some other time, and give them, let's say, you know, they let you turkey hunt. Bring them some turkey sticks that you made or something else just as a thank you to say, you know what, I really appreciate it. And those little things, in my opinion, can really go a long way to keeping that open door that for you to keep hunting do you do any sort of like entry level permission things go and ask about coyotes or um i mean sometimes it it seems like jumping straight into deer Mm -hmm. hey can i shoot your big 190 inch (laughs) mule deer you got running around your pasture probably is going to be ending with a get out of my (laughs) my, (laughs) my face but is there is there some things that you do that to navigate that Well, I guess it kind of depends. It depends if they have anybody they're hunting at that time. If they're already getting paid or have people coming in and out, then obviously you're not going to just walk in and get to shoot their big bucks for free. Um, Coyote hunting is a very easy thing, in my opinion, um, because a lot of people do not want coyotes around. But again, with coyotes, it's all about showing that you're going to be safe, that you're not going to be shooting anywhere near their home or near their pets, because that would be my biggest concerns. So making sure people understand that and kind of once you get 
the foot in your the foot in the door, um, you can really go a long way from there. And then maybe turkeys are next. You know, um, there's not as many people coming out paying for turkey hunting. And then maybe eventually you can work your way up to deer. But um, each instance is different. It never hurts to ask. But if they already have someone there hunting and and they get paid for it, yeah, they're probably not going to just let someone else come in. Yeah, yeah. Uh. I see also that uh, that you've been posting a lot, lots of lots of family related things with uh, um, your kids, and and cool to see them holding a, a coyote or, or whatever <laughs> it is. And I got a qu- couple of questions on how you're introducing to your kids because that that's something as a young young dad myself. I got a two year old. Uh, I already took him on an elk hunt this year. <laughs> And, that's awesome. And I I was the caller. I just kind of left the my bow in the truck and I think mm-hmm. we even could have shot one. But he <laughs> he uh he was 2 then. He's now a little mm-hmm. over 2 and a half and he still talks about the bull coming down the hill. Bull mm-hmm. coming down the hill. Bull came down the hill. We called him in and mm-hmm. it was the coolest most proud moment I've ever had. And mm-hmm. I'm getting to that point where now I need to strategically think about how I introduce him to this, uh, how I introduce, uh, do I bring my, and my wife's not a hunter. I mean, she's gone pheasant mm-hmm. hunting it before, but she's not a hunter. And and so mm-hmm. how that dynamic works. And I know many, many folks are curious about how to, how others introduce their family. And, and when I bring home something and there's a dead deer in the back of the truck mm-hmm. how and every kid's going to be different. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a, something to think about how how old are your kids first that would help and then what are some steps that you did along the way to introduce Mm -hmm. so our youngest Jax is two as well so he's about two and a half now so we're in the exact same boat as you are and the other kids are 14 12 and 10 so we kind of have a variety of ages in the house and honestly sometimes they don't want to go hunting um and that's okay um and i think that's what people need to realize is you're so right as every kid is different if it was up to jacks who's two he would never do anything other than hunt (laughs) that is his he just (laughs) loves it and you know with the like Bryn, she's 10 if we go hunting i don't want to you know i'm always preaching don't gross them out don't put blood on kids' face don't tell them they got to eat the heart you know all these things because as a kid it could really scare them now our 2 year old he just took a bite out of the heart last week oh, <laughs> out of a deer because he loves the movie dances with wolves and they do that in the movie so he decided to do that totally different kid totally different situation all he goes to daycare and tells them about is taking a bite out of the heart so I think you've got a variety of, of different kids, but I think it's so important to take each one as to, you know, what they like and letting them go with it. And also if they get sick of it and they don't want to, not pressuring them because you don't want them to come because you want them there. You want them to come because they're having fun with it. So I think what's important is to make it fun, to always bring snacks, try to really watch the weather so that you're bringing them when it's the most comfortable and, you know, even if that means putting down your bow or gun during that hunt, doing that and and being able to enjoy that together. Sometimes, like you said, it doesn't even matter if you end up shooting an animal or you call an elk in. It was the experience that's the most, you know, the best memory out there. So I think that's really important. And, and even giving kids a camera. I always tell people that if you have someone who's, you know, maybe a young girl or a young boy who's not really sure about if they want to kill something, bring a camera with, let them sit in the blind with you, take them turkey hunting and let them take pictures of that turkey as it's coming in. And then when they ask to be the hunter, 
that's a great time to to let them do it. But I think sometimes people push it a little bit too early. And if you do that, you can burn them out right from the beginning. Right. I don't want to be one of those wrestling dads that I saw over and over <laughs> again that created this monster yeah. that was a stud and then they never went on to college to wrestle because because oh, they hated it <laughs> yeah dad forced them <laughs> yep. uh, yeah that's so important to me i want my kid to respect and love the outdoors and mm-hmm. whether he is a hunter whatever or if he is a mountain biker whatever mm-hmm. i want to support him in that but I, I i just want him to have the the same sort of passion for the outdoors because it's so important in my life and mm-hmm. wanting that to be something that is is just something we do. It's mm-hmm. what the Whitleys do. I'm uh, mm-hmm. trying to normalize a lot of that. We check our mm-hmm. trap. We're checking our trap line. We got to mm-hmm. do that. Got to go out and mm-hmm. and uh, getting to see those things. And one thing I wanted to do an episode way back with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and I never did on family friendly hunts. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of those hunts? throughout the year, any time of the year, or just activities that are your go-to, easy family, not going to be sub-zero <laughs> decorated, <laughs> uh, some of those seasons, and it doesn't have to be South Dakota either, that, that mm-hmm. uh, you found as being really successful, really fun family hunts or f- fishing trips. We've always used used turkeys as all the kids' first hunts. Um, turkeys are so much fun because it's interactive. They can hear them coming. Um, we've used that, and it has been so successful. Our kids, each one of them we've been with on their first turkey hunt, and they just have loved it. And this year, Jax was a year and a half when it was turkey season, and I made it our goal to get a turkey with him by our side. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure there were a couple times my husband might have been thinking, this is a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, we took him out the first time. We didn't use a blind at all. And we had a turkey coming in. It was a beautiful day. And he saw it coming in. And now remember, this was one of our first turkey hunts of the year. So it wasn't that long before you know, before we were coyote hunting. And as Jack saw the turkey, he started howling like a coyote. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then this turkey starts shock gobbling back. So he thinks it's hilarious. So he's giggling and howling. It spooks this turkey off. And we filmed it and then we ended up setting up in a blind later and we got a turkey and we were able to let him see it and I shot it. And you know, it was probably the most excited I've ever been on a turkey just because he was right there by our side. And same with some of the other kids. I mean, we had so much fun going out and and trying to make it a fun experience. And when they get sick of it, you know, being done and coming home and, and you know, and one question I always get at shows and stuff is people ask, well, what about electronics? Should I let my kids have a phone or an iPad in the blind? And my thoughts are this, that anytime you take it away, it's almost kind of like a punishment. So a lot of times we'll let them bring it along when it's kind of boring. And then when the action picks up, they're going to set it aside. They don't want anything to do with it. You know, the fun is beginning. So I think part of it is is making it enjoyable um, and, you know, maybe limiting the time, but not completely saying they can't have it because I don't ever want it to feel like a punishment that you're going hunting. I want it to be a fun thing. And, and it doesn't take long and they don't even care about that. They're more interested in asking questions and letting them and letting them call and letting them do things that maybe isn't in the best interest of hunting but who cares it makes it a way more fun experience for them that's good that's good tips uh we're finishing well we're we are have finished here in south dakota our major hunting seasons and and uh, basically just some depredation hunts and then all of our little filler seasons and things are going on so what are some of those 
between major hunts activities things that you do to just keep honing your skills and just keep getting out and i know coyote hunting is one of them but Mm -hmm. what are what are some of those others that that you're hitting in spring summer what have you um well we definitely coyote hunt a ton (laughs) during this time of the year um we also like to do any type of ice fishing we can um that's a fun thing that if it's a nice day we can take the kids out and it's just action-packed and we only do it for maybe an hour or two you know nothing very long and then as spring comes closer we love to take the kids and the dogs out shed hunting um we don't always find a ton of sheds but it's fun to just go out there to enjoy it um during that time looking for maybe new places to hang stands seeing where some of the rubs were last year you know getting ideas of where to put cameras out. Um, all that is kind of part of your, your whole scouting and, and seeing what the deer are doing, you know, looking at those beat down trails and, and making your decisions at that point. And then another thing we enjoy doing is squirrel hunting. <laughs> um, we have a little Boston Terrier and a Frenchie in our Boston. She just loves going after squirrels. So that's something fun that we can take the kids out and do. And, and that's a, a very fun thing to um, just go along, have fun, make a little afternoon of it. And, and sometimes we'll add prairie dog hunting in there as well. So again, anything that's kind of action packed and, and a lot of fun and, and allows them to talk as much as possible. Is good. Yeah. yeah. We're going to go on a little uh, rabbit hunt with one of the game wardens here uh, to, uh-huh. to film it and kind of do a little educational thing on that. And uh-huh. I'm interested to learn a little bit. I've never really just gone on a rabbit hunt. It's always been like an opportunistic thing of uh-huh. oh there's a rabbit we'll get the rabbit but uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm interested to, to film that get some info as a total just opportunity that's an opportunity to get out and uh would be as simple you don't have to be super quiet necessarily and squirrels and rabbits taste good Mm-hmm. So. And then it's fun, and it's fun for kids. Um, when we were growing up, my brother on his bike had all the squirrel tails he had ever shot hanging off the back <laughs> of his bike. Um, so you know, I think sometimes that can be overlooked. And we actually brought Noah, who's 14 now. That was one of his very first hunts. As Ben and I brought um, pork chop uh, and him out squirrel hunting. And you know what? We did that whole hunt, and we never even killed a squirrel. But we had so much fun. Um, it was just wonderful. He found a dead head and and different things. So I think. I think, you know, people kind of overstress the idea that you have to be successful and kill something to make it a great experience. And that is so not true in the eyes of a child. Oh, absolutely. And shed hunting is just Mm -hmm. the ultimate uh, Easter egg hunt. Absolutely. (laughs) I, I am addicted to it. And I took my mom out in Colorado a few years back before we had a season there. And... Mm -hmm. She she had never she liked to hike she wanted to hike but this is hiking with a purpose. I don't, right, 100%. I don't, yeah, I don't like to hike. I gotta have. <laughs> I want a reason to be hiking. I want a reason to be hiking. I want to carry my uh, bow or my rifle or a pack full of antlers. And even when uh-huh. you find that one, it's just just a cool cool thing that the last thing that that thing was there there or whatever there was an uh-huh. elk or a deer with that attached to his head and I was the first one in that spot. Always just a fun. Fun, fun thing to do for sure. Mm-hmm. So I saw, I have a totally unrelated, this is a transition question, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. a different question. I saw that you joined up with Silencer Central and doing some some uh, work with them and, and using a suppressor. I just mm-hmm. got mine ordered and I would just kind of did it because I knew this would be a time to do it. And also mm-hmm. I don't want to be deaf. 
later mm-hmm. on. Uh, and so talk to us a little bit about some of the benefits and why that price tag behind there might not be a, such a bad thing to do. Well, one of the number one reasons I tell people is you should do it because if you have kids, if you want to bring people into hunting and shooting, I've asked all the new kids that we bring in. We try to bring new kids from our community all the time. What what are you scared of? What are you apprehensive about when they come to shoot the very first time? They're always scared of the sound and of the recoil, the two number one things that scare all new shooters. And by using a suppressor, you're almost reducing that to a point where they're not afraid of it anymore. Um, They go out, they shoot it. What we like to do is anytime we're going to have kids shoot, we shoot it first. So that way they can see what it's going to sound like, what it's going to kick like, and then let them take over. And it's funny because we'll take these kids out, and we actually brought our girl Bryn out turkey hunting. And the first question she said is, well, does this have a suppressor on it? (laughs) <laughs> and I said, no. She goes, well, I don't want to shoot it then. I want a different one. I said, well, we don't have one for that right now. Um, but it just shows you at 10, that's how important it becomes to them. And once someone shoots with a suppressor, I can promise you, you're going to wonder, why didn't I do this earlier? Um, you're hearing, you only get one set of hear- ears. And hearing protection is so important. And if you think about it, I mean, I'm guilty of it. When I'm out actually hunting, I don't have earmuffs on. I don't have hearing protection in. And I shoot a lot. I'm out in the field 300 days a year. Um, it is so important, not only for me, but the guide you're hunting next to. I have my cameraman with me. He's one of my best friends. I don't want to destroy his hearing over time either. Um, so I think when people think of it as, okay, this is something that is not only for you, but because they put it in the NSF trust that can be passed on to your future generations, um, it is such a good investment. And it's awesome to see, you know, a company out of South Dakota, they're made by Mac Brothers over in Sturgis. It makes you more accurate. Um, It gives you better follow-up shots. Um, For coyote hunting, a lot of times you have a better chance at a double because they didn't even necessarily know what happened when the first one was shot. So I think there's just so many benefits. And and I'm always easy to kind of push people to go for it because you're not going to regret it. I've never heard anyone who bought one who said, yeah, that wasn't worth it. Everyone's like, geez, I wish I had done that earlier. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think one of the big things that I think is going to help me, besides not being a deaf old man someday, is Mm -hmm. that... I don't shoot my rifle enough. I shoot mm-hmm. my bow. I shoot my bow a mm-hmm. lot. And that's, I, I try and be a bow hunter first before a rifle hunter, but you got to have opportunities. You got to, not mm-hmm. going to turn down another season. So, right. <laughs> um, but the one thing I think that'll help me a lot is just that it, shooting, it's like shooting maybe a 22 versus right. 30 out six. And mm-hmm. maybe I won't anticipate that shot as much and, and be able mm-hmm. to squeeze that off. So I'm looking forward to to that and it makes it more enjoyable if you do go out to the range you know i mean i shoot a 300 wind mag with 180 grain bullets it's not that much fun to go shoot it at the range you put a suppressor on it now it's a lot less recoil a lot less noise it makes it more fun and when it's more fun you're going to do it more often yeah that's a good point so i need some help with coyote Mm -hmm. hunting tactics what are your you've been doing this a lot and and uh it seems that you've been you and your husband have been successful at that for sure. So what's your what's your go-to? It seems like in hunting as much as you have been, uh, 
how are you not running out of certain areas? And I know that gaining permission, yes, but I, I look at even some of the, all the public land that's here, even uh-huh. one big, huge piece of public, I'm going to access it in this spot today because of the wind. Uh-huh. And I feel like that spot is almost shot then for a period of time. And I'm not going to head back to that area. So doing that day after day after day, how do you burn, not burn out a spot and, or approach it differently? And how often do you, are you going back to those similar areas? Ton of mm-hmm. questions I just loaded in there. So <laughs> no problem. If you're able to um, pick out a piece of that somewhere. Well, I think the most important thing is always hunting the wind, right? So the number one thing is when you get into a spot, you need to ensure that how your setup's going to be, that you've got the wind in your favor. Do not hunt a spot just because you want to hunt it. Even though the wind is marginal or not right, you will burn it out fast. The next thing that I think a lot of people make mistakes about is they just walk into their spot, right? My husband is one of the most cautious hunters you've ever seen. And as we ease up to a spot, we're constantly, it takes us quite a while to even get in there because we're just slowly inching in, constantly looking for coyotes that are already out there. Because what a lot of people do is they just go into their spot and you're going there because it's a good potential coyote spot. And those coyotes see you coming and they are long gone. And then you wonder, well, why didn't I get any coyotes at that spot? Well, they saw you going in, then you hit their call. And so now they associate that call with a person they're not going to be coming into the call. (laughs) Um, My dad saw this firsthand. He went up to North Dakota this last weekend. He's a huge coyote hunter. And he said they they started up the call and they saw four coyotes run the opposite direction as soon as they heard that call. (laughs) So what does that tell you? It means there's a lot of pressure. And as more and more people are enjoying coyote hunting and and learning about it and and getting used to it, you're going to make mistakes as as a new hunter. And I think that's one of the main things is if you do blow a coyote out, do not continue on to that spot and then set up your call because all you're doing is really teaching them that that call is associated with a person coming into the area. So I think the number one thing is making sure you've got the wind right. But number two is just entering these areas very, very cautiously and sitting down, getting in the spot where you've got some good cover and kind of looking at, okay, where do you think they're going to come and, and being able to be set up for that position. And it's always nice to have two people if possible so you can each watch different directions because a lot of times coyotes will come you know, in an area that you're not expecting, but if there's always two of us, I think that really helps as well. So that's something is, is making sure that you're setting up correctly and having, you know, the vantage point, trying to get up high to see him coming from a long way off. But it does become a point where, you know, how much land do you have and how often can you go back? We won't hit the same spots day after day after day. We're lucky that we do have a lot of area to hunt, but we do go back to some of those same areas and, um, you know, you can have really good luck as long as you're not blowing them out. And again, having those coyotes associate that call with a person walking through the field. Yeah. What's your, uh, what's your go-to kind of cadence, your, your call sequence. And I know that changes from November mm-hmm. till, till March or whenever, but, um, maybe just January, February, what's your, what's your go-to's? 
Well, I think it kind of depends on each situation. What we try to do is watch what those coyotes are doing in the area. Um, a lot of times we'll see coyotes that never see us, and we don't shoot at them usually unless they're 200 yards and in and coming to the call. Um, there's been numerous instances where we could just shoot them because we see them, but we enjoy calling them in and bringing them in. But it also allows you to kind of watch and see what's going on to see if they're fighting. Like right now, they're already starting to step up. They're looks like they're breeding and, and beginning to mate. Um, so you're going to see more coyote fights. And um, we have lots of different calls, lots of different sounds, and then also hand calls. And if they get in close enough, our number one best thing we like to do is just lip squeak them in. Um, my husband is a firm believer that there's no better call than lip squeaking them in. And anytime they are within probably 150 yards and in, He'll do that, and it's amazing. They just come right to us. So I think sometimes people can overcall, um, but I think the fight sounds are really important. Uh, obviously, knowing what's in the area, we're in heavy pheasant country, you know. So using sounds that sound like either pheasants or chickens or you know anything like that that are in distress as well of what is in that area and also what other hunters maybe are not using. Um, I know in some of the calls they talk about you know the fight scenes and it's so interesting to. Hear hear you know how they even got these sounds some of the people will explain what was going on like this was a young female who had been by herself and and now the others came and they're all in a big fight so listening to what caused these sounds i think can help your knowledge as an overall coyote hunter so you know why that's happening so you can kind of use your best judgment as to when to use it and when not to hmm. interesting yeah I, I oftentimes a lot of coyote hunters are you see one, shoot one. <laughs> kind of, kind of thing. I think the, yeah, and I'm sure more ranchers would appreciate that at all times. And yeah, the thing yeah. is, is we hunt those places enough. More than likely, if we didn't spook them, the next time we come, we can we can call them in. So um, we don't shoot at them on the run. Um, they always need to be stopped. We'll bark, whatever it takes to get them stopped. And, I mean, it really does make for some very successful shots. You hear so many people with so many misses coyote hunting. But if you always get them to stop and you're shooting them 200 yards and in, your percentage goes way, way, way up. Um, we use a 22-250 with 55-grain um, Winchester Varmidex bullets, and it has dropped every single coyote this entire season. I mean, just right in their tracks with minimal pelt damage. So those are all kind of nice things to to have as well when you're looking to sell those furs later on. Yeah, twenty-two, two fifty. I'll echo that one. I love that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Love that caliber for sure. Uh, really, be able to poke, reach out there and poke too if you yep. had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I'd love to end with kind of what's next for you um, for twenty twenty-one. One, what's uh, what's on your your list? Any sweet hunts you got booked? Yeah, I think so. Um, I actually have two really big hunts planned that normally I would never put two big hunts in one season. Um, But last year, because of COVID, we were not able to go across the Canadian border. So my husband and I are doing a moose hunt with our bow up in the Yukon. I did this not last year, but the year before 
and I did it with a rifle and we called a moose into 18 yards. And of all the hunts I've ever done, it was the most enjoyable hunt I think I've ever been on. We just had such a wonderful time, saw so many bulls. And uh, so the guy was kind of thinking about retiring and I said, no, we have to come back up here. So I booked it again with my husband and I both hunting this time. He came with last time just to help film, but we're going to do it with our bows. And I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be, I think it's like a 15 day hunt and then we'll be home I think for a day and then we go on another 15 day hunt to Kodiak for brown bear sitka deer and mountain goat Um, and again normally I would never book those two type of hunts back to back because that's a long time to be away from the kids Um, but this year it just so happened that's how it's going to work so we've got a pretty great schedule plus you know all the muleys and whitetails and everything else we usually hunt around here of course um I I am in love with mountain goat hunting and I wish I could do that more than I have mm-hmm. but it's uh that's just so so awesome. I I love it so much but that was a one and done for a while. <laughs> yep, that's the way some that's like brown bear for me. I just love it but it's not something you can do all that often. It's a very pricey deal and you know it it takes a while and you just got to wait and and then enjoy it while you get to do it and then live off the memory for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you this in the beginning, but and maybe you just answered, I'm not sure, but what is your favorite hunt and hunt species and method to t- of take? Boy, you know, it's hard. I love like that moose hunt. I love anything with interaction. Um, elk hunting, my husband and I have had just some tremendous elk hunts actually right here in South Dakota and, you know, New Mexico and different places. But I I would have to say my overall favorite, nothing gets me more excited than whitetails. And that's because I grew up hunting them. I dreamed at 12 years old of someday shooting one big buck. That's all I wanted. And so to this day, you know, if I could pick a Boone and Crockett anything, it's got to be whitetails. They're just my favorite. It's just the way it is when you've dreamed of it since you were 12 that you can't get rid of it. I didn't dream about moose hunting when I was 12. I dreamed about shooting deer. Yeah. (laughs) And if somebody (laughs) made you put down a gun or put down a bow for the rest of your life, which one are you putting down? No, I can't say on that. (laughs) (laughs) No, Uh, I can't say on that. I wouldn't want to put either. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. I I totally get it. Um, So then where, where can people find you? Where can they watch? What can they... What do you got coming up in that regard uh, that we can um, pay attention to? You can go to melissabachman.com. It's got all the different social media channels where you can find me on all the different things. Uh, my show runs year-round on Sportsman's Channel. So every Sunday morning at 1030 Central Time, 1130 Eastern Time. Um, and it's also on three, four different times throughout the week. Or just set your DVR and watch it whenever you have time. Um, but I have new episodes always coming out and then I'm always trying to keep things updated online on social, what we're doing, what we're doing with the family, try to kind of mix it up, but, but it's all about hunting all the time. Speaking of going back 20 years, when were hunting shows on Sunday morning? (laughs) Yes, they were. (laughs) The very few that were there, but Sunday morning, hunting and fishing was on. I threw in the VHS, hit record for for (laughs) Babe Winkleman and Tony Dean. And, oh, man. I wrote a letter to them one time. They never wrote back, but Aww. they were just, <laughs> I loved watching them. I remember being like awesome. 10 writing that letter, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anyway. Well, I wrote Garth Brooks a letter too, but he never wrote back either. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, well, 
stay on the line here. I would love to just ask you another question, but okay. um, appreciate you and your time and giving, giving and sharing just a little bit about yourself. And uh, thanks again. That's all. Yeah. All I got to say. Thank you so much. I appreciate you for having me. Thank you so much. Ground, this is God's country.